Oh, God, that we serve a living God. There's no one like you. There's no other one like you. You're such a good, good God. You're a miracle-working God. You're not done with the miracles that you do. I thank you you're a God of change. You take those old things and make them new. Those things that seem dead, you bring back to life again as only you can do. No other one like you, God. We worship you this morning. We magnify and glorify you for all that you are, all that you have in store for us in this day, in this hour, in this great time and generation that we live in. We're so thankful that this is our generation, that you've called us to the kingdom for such a time as this, this unique time, this unique place in history that we live in, that we truly might be the lights of the world, infused with your very life and your nature, that we carry with us the light of the glorious gospel. To those who are in darkness, those whose minds have been blinded, Lord, that we are contagious with the life of God. We walk carrying a lamp, the light of the glorious gospel, to shine upon them that they might receive hope for the future. So we thank you for redeeming our life by the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit to equip us, to strengthen us, to anoint us. I thank you that even today, in homes all over as people watch, that you flood those homes, Holy Spirit. You lead and you guide and you teach. You also bring healing and deliverance and freedom. We thank you for that anointing. I thank you for that anointing even now. I thank you, Father, you're restoring, restoring and mending, repairing that right shoulder in the name of Jesus where that damage was created right at the top of that joint and and range of motion has been severely restricted. I thank you right now you are moving to repair as only you can do. Supernatural repair. The joints, the tendons, the ligaments, the muscle. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. As only you can, I thank you that you're healing. You're healing the deadness in that left ear where it just seems that it's, it's been stopped up. They can hear, but they can't hear clearly. It just plugged up. I thank you that you're opening that up even now as only you can. We thank you for the anointing of the Spirit of God. That you'll move in every heart. You'll move in every life. We thank you for everything that will be accomplished by your word and by your spirit this morning. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Praise the Lord. It's a great day. It's the day the Lord has made, and we get to rejoice and be glad in it. We are so glad that you are watching, that you have uh, allowed us to come into your home or wherever you are, and we're glad that you are with us as we are celebrating Jesus this morning and uh, praising him, acknowledging him in all that he is, all that he is doing, all that he'll continue to do by his spirit. So we're so glad that we're together this morning, and uh, I believe that God has something good for us this morning, and praise the Lord. Y'all can be seated. Um, 
Praise the Lord. Just want to remind you uh, this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, to remember. Just take time out. That's what it's for, to remember those who have given their life so that we have the tremendous freedoms that we have. And we're looking at a number of things in our nation today, and we don't want to forget, no matter what it is, that people gave their life so that we could be free. We could free, be free to express ourselves and to do the things uh, that we do as Americans. And so uh, on this Memorial Day weekend, remember uh, those who have given their life so that we could have freedom. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're looking forward to uh, soon and very soon being together with you. And uh, we once again want to, I know graduations are spreading out, and so I'm not sure all the weeks, but congratulate all of you that uh, have graduated or are graduating. What a great accomplishment. And uh, we congratulate you and are thankful for, uh, really, God has plans and purposes for you to enjoy and to be involved in in your life. So um, praise the Lord. I want to start something new this morning and uh, talk to you about, uh, you see up out there, or maybe you've seen on the, the slide, we've entitled this, Who Told You? And I, I just want to uh, jump into it from this perspective that, you know, in the day that we're living in, certainly in every single day, but in the day that we're living in, I can, I can tell you in the days that are ahead, even more so, there are going to be very many voices that will begin to speak to you. There will be a ton of different voices. As, as Alan said, uh, you'll have the voice of your spouse uh, speaking to you in some ways. You know, don't let the cat out. And so uh, your spouse, that, that voice of your spouse, the voice of your employer, uh, the voice of your checking account might speak out to you, right? The voice of the news media uh, speaking out, right? The voice of our government speaking You'll hear voices of friends and leaders speaking to you. you hear really the voice of your own desires, the voice of your fears, the voice of your doubts uh, speaking to you, right? We hear really the voice sometimes of our parents. What did our parents say? And, and all of a sudden you face a situation, you have the voice of your, your parents. You'll hear the voice of the enemy. What we want to concentrate on and really look at, and I'm sure you're already thinking, ah, oh, I know where he's going with this. Yes, we want to Learn and tune in and be able to hear the voice of God. It's really the most important voice that we can have. And really, we come on a place and, and look at it. And, you know, uh, I, I look at kids most of the time, but I, I know adults. And I think I've probably done it when people have asked me at different times, you do something and people don't understand why you did what you did. And they'll come and say, who told you? Who told you you could eat that snack? Who told you you could, you know, use my hammer on the car? Uh, what? And, and kids just like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know, right? So we want to know where, even for them, why are you acting the way you're acting? Who told you to do that? And we tend to, even as kids, say, I don't know. But then we grow up, and if we're not careful, we still don't know who told us. But God has a plan for our life. Jeremiah chapter 29 in verse 11, you're familiar with this scripture, most of you, it says, uh, God speaking to the children of Israel, you, for you know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, they're thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, God's thoughts for you are of good. 
God wants to bring you into a desired future and expectation that God has for you. God wants to lead you into something extraordinary. God wants to make transitions, as that song said, that only God can make. God wants to move you from one place to another, but he's not endeavoring to move you into a lesser place, but move us into a greater place. God is working really in us to will and to do of his good pleasure, knowing that no matter what is going on right now, God has a better place for us to end up, to come through situations better than we went in, right? That's why I love that song, There's Nothing Better Than Him. When we start to realize there's nothing in our life better than him, all of a sudden there's no compromise. I want to walk with God every day because there's nothing better than walking with God. I want to hear God's voice every day because there's nothing wiser than the voice of God. There's nothing better than him. And there's things that need to be done that only he can do. But he doesn't want to do them without you. He doesn't want to change your life. He doesn't want to bring you into pathways of glorious things without you being a part of it, without me being a part of it. And so in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 33, the interpretation of that tongue is Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3 in the New Living Translation. He says, ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets that you do not know about things to come. He says, I want to tell you some things. You know, we ask that question, who told you? We want to say, God told me. How do you know that's coming? God told me. How do you have this expectation of great things? How can Alan stand up here and say, you know what? God has a great plan for you in your future. How come? Because God is telling us. God's showing us and telling us remarkable secrets about things we don't yet know. That's his desire. When we arrive at things, he said, listen, when, when people question the salvation that is in you, you should have an answer. How do you know that? Where did you come upon that? What happened there? And we should be able to say, God has told me of remarkable things that I didn't see, but now I'm seeing because I trusted and believed in God's voice. God has extraordinary things. We've said this. I believe that there is a, a moving of God's spirit that is coming upon the church that will bring us through this extraordinary time that we've experienced as a world and begin to bring us into places that we really realize that what Jesus said, you're the light of the world, that we're not just some little small candle, but we are carriers, we are contagious with the light of the glorious gospel. We are witnesses of what the good news of what Jesus did for humanity could do for an individual in bringing healing and deliverance and freedom from all kinds of bondage and bring a wholeness to our life. We are carriers of that revelation that God has a transforming power for us. And in that, God wants to lead us and to guide us. So I want to take up here in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Starting in verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said to him, 
Who told you that you were naked? Who told you? Sometimes it's just a matter of why are we doing what we're doing? Who told you? I said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? The man said, the woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave to me and uh, gave to me of the tree and I ate. Come on, God said, who told you? They're in this situation of life and it's who told you. And so I, I just want you to think about this question, who told you? Who told you you weren't good enough? Who told you in a situation you weren't tall enough, you weren't skinny enough, you weren't talented enough? To, who told you you didn't know enough? Who told you that you wouldn't amount to anything? Who told you that God didn't love you, that God wouldn't accept you? Who told you that God wouldn't forgive you of your mistakes? Who told you that you were cast out? Who told you that you were cast down? Who told you that you were a cast off? Come on, so often these are things that are going on in our mind and, and God just says, when we, we're like, God, I can't do it. When we've been running and hiding from God and God is seeking us out because he has a better plan for us, we're like, I don't know if I can do that. God, I was hiding from you. I was, I was staying away from you. I was staying away from your people because, and God said, who told you? Who told you that you could not do these things? And you know, and probably over the next few weeks, we'll go on to some different things about what someone might have told you. And you're going to have to ask that question when you begin to walk through this week. I just challenge you, when you do something and you're in the middle of it, what was it? What voice was telling you to go ahead and do that? Because at the end of it, whatever you do, it's who told you. If it's a great success, who told you to do that? And you can say, you know what? God told me. I looked at it in his word. Or some leader told me, somebody out for my benefit. Or we're going to have to say, you know what? A different voice told me, and I listened to that voice. See, Jesus in John chapter 10, he said, Listen, my, my sheep hear my voice, and a stranger's voice they'll not follow. And we want to get to that point that we know who told us what to do and where to go and how to go there. Why would God ask this question, who told you you were naked? We just went through those lists of things. Who's talking to you? Who's telling you things about your life? Because God said and told you that you were accepted in the Beloved. God told you that by the blood of Jesus, you were washed and you were cleansed and you were sanctified. God told you that he gave you a spirit of adoption so you could cry out, Abba, Father. God told you that you were a son and a daughter and an heir of his. God told you that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God told you that you're more than a conqueror through him who loved you. God told you that he'll cause you to always triumph in Christ Jesus. God told you that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. See, God knows what he told you. And we're not walking according to what God told us, and we're afraid, and we're ashamed, and we're guilty, and 
we're apprehensive in approaching him and we start to tell him why we're apprehensive or why we can't do something that, that seems uh, impossible in our life, yet we understand that he's the God of the impossible. He can make impossible things possible. So when we say, listen, God, that's not possible, he's saying, who told you that's not possible? Because he told us that I'm the one who will take the impossible things and make them possible if you could only believe what I told you, what I told you. So we want to ask our question, ourselves that question. When we say, I don't think that's possible, who told you that wasn't possible? I don't think I can overcome that. Who told you you couldn't overcome that? God really wants us to get to this time, I believe, with all of my heart. And we'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks. How do we distinguish the voices that are going on in our life? Who's telling us what? And which voices are actually leading us forward? Which voices are keeping us back from the things that really God's planned for us? What are those voices and how do we begin to determine the voices that are speaking into our life? And so let's just take a few moments and and begin to look at some instances in the scripture where we can understand, listen, God told them. But we have difficulty because sometimes God tells us and then somebody else tells us. And to distinguish God's voice in our life and to distinguish what we're going to do with it is incredibly important. So let's just start where we were. Let's just start in Genesis the second chapter in the 16th verse, we'll start with Adam and Eve. In verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. See, God told them, I've given you everything. I'll fill this in. But God said to them in creation, he said, look at everything that I've created and everything that I've created is good. And let, I just want you to understand that all this belongs to you. I've told you to be fruitful. I've told you to multiply. I've told you to subdue the earth, to take charge of it. He said, I've told you everything belongs to you. I've told you that there's a tree in the garden and it's the tree of life and you can freely eat. But I've also told you there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that when you eat it, you will die. That's what God told them. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the, tr the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it or touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit, she ate it. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. 
So we started out where they hid from God. And God said, why were you hiding? And they said, we knew we were naked. And he said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of this tree? We look back and we see God said, I've created everything for you. God told them everything is for you but this one thing. But then the enemy told them. The serpent told them something totally contrary. God told them they would die. The enemy told them you will not die. The enemy told them that God, there's something in this tree that God doesn't want you to have. God just previously told them, I've created everything. I want you to have everything but this one thing. And the enemy came and said, listen, this is one thing that God doesn't want you to have because. And so God had to come and say, who told you that you were naked? God said, I didn't tell you anything that would cause you to be ashamed. See, the scripture tells us right prior to this, it says, the man and the woman, they were naked, and there was no shame found in them. They were vulnerable. They were open. Everything was pure. Everything was open to God. Everything was clear and transparent before God, and immediately sin came and brought shame. Shame came upon them, and they needed to cover that shame. So immediately God said, who told you that you were naked? How did shame come into your life? See, when the enemy talks to us and brings us something contrary to God, he's not looking for good. He'll paint it as good. He'll paint it the picture. So you begin to look at the thing that God said and begin, it'll begin to be distorted as Eve began to look and listen to what the enemy was telling her. She said, why not eat? Why not? It looks pretty good. It sure looks like it'll make me something. Who told her it would make her something? It was the enemy of her soul that began to speak to her. We know that story, but we can see right there that the enemy will speak to you. In Genesis, the 15th chapter, we'll talk about somebody else. Alan made reference to this, Abraham. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And then Abram, Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. God told him, God told him, I will give you a son. I will give you a son. God told him. He said, I'll do something miraculous. It goes on to say, God made a covenant with him. He said, how will I know that you'll give me a son? And God made a covenant with him. He broke bread together. They slaughtered a, a calf for the covenant. He said, we're joined now in covenant. What is mine is yours and what's yours is mine. God told him, I will give you a son. We move into Genesis, the 16th chapter. In the first verse, it says, now Sarai, Abram's wife had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded her voice. 
I mean, really, you know, I'm using my imagination a little bit, but all of a sudden here, Hagar is, is pregnant with Ishmael. They got a problem, a situation here, and now Sarah's upset with Hagar because she was able to bear children and Sarah wasn't. And they come to this place with God, and I, I imagine just because of how he is, God said, who told you, who told you you could sleep with Hagar? Who told you? And of course, Abram said, my wife told me. My wife told me. But see, God's not looking to say, oh yeah, listen to your wife. This is why we started. Who told you? How many voices are really uh, coming and, and, and pushing and vying for our ears? Jesus said this over and over again, let him who has ears to hear, hear. He said to the churches in Revelation, he who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. He's not saying, he who has ears to hear, hear whatever you want to hear. But he's saying, he who has ears to hear, hear what I'm saying. Why? Because I want to tell you of remarkable things to come. I want to tell you about your life in Christ. I want to tell you about some amazing things I want to do. What was he telling Abraham? He's telling Abraham, I want to do something supernatural through you. And Abram couldn't grasp it, so he went back to somebody telling him how to do it naturally. Thank God for his grace and his mercy. We see later he comes back, and that's when he renames him. He says, listen, you'll no longer be Abram. You'll be Abraham. Sarai will no longer be Sarai. She'll be Sarah. I'm going to get you talking about this over and over. I'm going to get both of you talking about what I've told you till Isaac comes. God will keep telling you the same thing again and again, what he has planned for you. God wants to speak to us in this time. He wants us to see things to come. He wants to speak in your ears of remarkable things that you don't know today, but he wants to show you so that you can walk into them. Many voices don't want you to walk into the future that God has for you. Many voices don't want you to be free from the things that have bound you. Many voices do not want your marriage to flourish and your children to grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Many voices don't want you to prosper. But God's voice, he told you, I want to prosper you. I want to heal you. I want your family to be whole. I want your children to be raised and to follow me. God told us one way. We can't allow the other voices to tell us something different. We continue to look through the scripture. We find out how people were led astray because it's really the question, who told you? And so in Numbers chapter 20, Moses, God spoke to Moses in this instance. Verse 8, it says, God speaking to him, he says, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, 
to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given you. God told him to speak to the rock. But his emotions told him, strike the rock. He was angry at the children of Israel. They rebelled against God. And because his emotions were heightened, he went back to something that God said before. He had struck the rock before. He went back to his own ability. When our emotions get stirred up and start to talk to us, we start to depend upon our own ability and what we're feeling at the moment. What he was feeling at the moment was, you know what, I'm angry at the people. I'll strike the rock. But God said, I want to do something different. Speak to the rock. Sometimes our emotions want to fall back to the way it was, but God says, I want to do a new thing. Don't strike the rock, speak to the rock. And so we can see that there's different kinds of voices. There's the enemy speaking to us. Our spouse can speak to us in a situation. Our emotions can speak to us. Who told you? When you end up in a situation, I just imagine and use my imagination here. That God comes to him. God knew his heart. He said, you didn't trust me with this. I was going to show the children of Israel something new about my power. Where they saw you strike the rock, they could even, even in their mind said, well, that, that stick's a pretty heavy stick. It cracked the rock open. But they'll really have trouble understanding that when you just speak to the rock, it yields water. God wanted to show them. But Abraham trusted his emotions more than he trusted the word of God. And God said, I can't send you in now because of that. I imagine, just again, using my imagination, God looked at him and said, who told you to strike the rock twice? Where did you even come up with that? Right? And I'm sure Abram would have said, well, that's what you told me last time. I struck the rock last time. That's what I'm familiar with. But God would still say, what did I tell you to do this time? I told you to speak to the rock. Who told you? What told you to strike the rock? Come on, I hope I'm, being, I'm making a little bit of sense here, but I believe that in the day that we're moving into, it'll be more important to know what God told us. When other voices are speaking to us to say, wait a minute, I don't know what you're telling me, but God told me. I'll get ahead of myself here a little bit in weeks to come, but you know, Jesus told his disciples, he said, you go out, you preach the gospel, you heal the sick, you cause blind eyes to open, you heal the lame. And they did that in Acts chapter 3. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. And someone else told them to stop doing it. But they went back to what Jesus told them. And they said, whether we should believe God or believe you, you decide. They were people who knew what who told them what and what they should do. We can get to the point of knowing this is what God told me. And when those dissenting voices come and say, oh, you don't need to do what God told you to do, we can chime in with those disciples, Peter and John, and say, listen, whether I should listen to what you're telling me to do or whether I should listen to God telling me what to do, you make the determination. We want to do what God has told us to do. Here's another voice that speaks to us in 1 Samuel chapter 15. In verse 18, God spoke to King Saul. This is an encapsulation. You can read the whole story. God lined it out to him in more detail. But the prophet Samuel is coming back to him and rehearsing to him what God told him. 
Verse 18, it says, Now the Lord sent you, sent you on a mission. And he said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I went on the mission that the Lord sent me on, and I brought back Agag, the king of, the Am of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people, the people took of the plunder, sheep, oxen, and the best of things, which should have, should have utterly, we should have, <laughs> the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord God at Gilgal. What voices are impacting our life? God told him as the leader to utterly destroy them. But he said, listen, the people told me that they wanted to keep the spoil and sacrifice it to God. But God told you to utterly destroy it. But the people told me. Who told you? We see in this God continues to come back to the men that he gave something to do. And he said, I told you this, but some other dissenting voice was telling them something different. Who's telling you? Just as Adam went to, or, or God went to Adam and said, who told you you were naked? When we find ourselves lacking, we find ourselves in doubt, we find ourselves in guilt, we find ourselves in shame, the only place that we can go is to God. Say, God, this is my condition. And I believe God is going to say, who told you you were in this condition? Who told you this? And we're going to have to stop and say, this is who told me. And this is why I did what I did. And be honest with God so that God can tell us, I forgive you. I cleanse you of that unrighteousness. I tell you, you can be restored. When somebody says, how do you think you can go forward after what you've done? Because God told me. Who told you you could move forward? Who told you you could be forgiven? What if those people don't forgive you? But God told me. He forgave me. God told me. He washed me. God told me. He cleansed me. Who told you? You'll hear that over and over. Who told you you could do that? God told me I could do that. Well, I'm telling you, you can't do that. God will say, who told you you can't? People will tell you, who told you you can? We want to hear those voices in our life and know who is telling us what. We may say, why is it so important to know what God is saying to us? Proverbs, the 14th chapter and the 12th verse says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even laughter, even in laughter, the heart sorrows. And the end of mirth may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. See, when we just listen to man, it may all seem good, but it may lead to death. But God's way is always leading to life, health, and righteousness. So I just want to encourage you and close out with these three things today to give you as you, you begin to do this so we can learn to 
understand and know the voice of God. And these may be redundant to you as a believer, but I believe in this day we want to become more keenly aware and have ears to hear what God is saying moment by moment. I think more and more it's going to be important to know what God is saying in each and every decision that we make in life, that we don't take it casually, we don't get super spiritual about it, we just know what God is saying. I said this last week, I can't remember on which one, but as we were praying out, it just, it opened up to me, you know, we can say Jesus said what he heard the Father say, Jesus did what he saw the Father do, but he was speaking about how I, I knew, I knew to roll that, that mud up in, into that and spit in the mud and put it in the guy's eyes. Why? Because I saw what God wanted to do for that blind man. I knew exactly what to say to the Pharisees when they doubted because I heard God say it to me. If we become familiar with the direction and that, and all of a sudden you come up to somebody and God says, here's what I want to say to them, and you say that, it's revealing in their life. What are they going to say? They're going to say, who told you that about my life? We can say, the Spirit of God told me. Because I'm walking in an awareness of what God is saying to me. How did you know who told you to lay hands on me for that particular ailment? God told me. See, God wants to tell us things. And we want to know who's telling us. So we want to draw closer to God. All right, number one, you have to receive. If you're going to understand the voice of God, you're going to have to receive his word. So, well, I read the Bible every day. Then we want to get that same mentality, that same idea that John Osteen said over and over and over every single day. Now Joel says it every service. This is my Bible. It's God speaking to me. It's not a book that I'm reading. It's alive. And so when I look at the word of God, it's God speaking to me. Who told you? God told me. When did he tell you? When I was reading the word today, he told me that I'm holy, that I'm righteous, that I'm forgiven. He told me today that I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. He told me today that I could forgive that person who wronged me. He told me today that I could go ahead and be free to give. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says this, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, health to all their flesh. So keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. What is he saying? He's saying, receive my word. My word doesn't have doubt and unbelief. My word has life and it has health. It has the ability to guard and to keep you if you will guard it. Number two, you first have to receive it. Number two, you have to embrace it as truth. Not just say, I look at the word, but you have to embrace it as truth. John chapter 17, verse 16, it says, they are not, Jesus speaking here, they are not of the world, of his disciples. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. There's something about receiving this word and embracing it as truth that sets us apart from the lies of the enemy, sets us apart from the lies of those voices that come because we recognize and embrace this is truth. And anything that contradicts this cannot be true it must be a lie. So we receive it, we embrace it as truth, and then we must meditate on it. 
if it's going to become a part of our, our being and a part of our fiber so that it's there, that when a dissenting voice comes, we know exactly how to respond. And so Joshua is our example. Chapter 1, verse 5, it says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I love that. Listen, no man shall be able to stand before you. In other words, when you do this, God has given him the land, and somebody who says you can't have it will not be able to stop you. Right? Who told you this is not your land? Joshua would say, listen, I've been meditating on this day and night and night and day, and God told me this is our land, and we're coming up to possess it, and not one person is going to stop me and tell me this is not ours. Not another person's going to tell me about the giants. Not another person's going to tell me about the walled cities. Not another person's going to tell me I'm a grasshopper. God told me this is my land, and we're going to possess it. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide it as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When the word of God is in your heart and you're meditating on it, it's alive. If the word of God abides in you, God abides in you. If the word of God is going with you wherever you go, God is going with you wherever you go. When you quote the word of God and said, God said, God told me, then God's right there to back up what he told you. He's faithful to perform that which he promised. The word of God says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I believe we've entered into a day of building our faith like never before to stand against the lies of the enemy and trust God in every single situation. So I just ask you once again to move through the week and ask yourself this question, who told me that? Who told me I wasn't good enough? Who told me I couldn't do that? And you might put names to that. There might be people, your wife, your boss, somebody else, but you need to stop and say, what did God tell me? And if that's a dissenting voice, it's not flesh and blood. It's the enemy trying to tell me, God doesn't want me to do something, but I know God does. So I just challenge you, just look this week and say, what has God been telling me? In this time where I've been spending more time in prayer, I've been at staying at home and concentrating, what has God been telling me? Start writing it down. So when somebody says, what are you going to do? I'm going to do this. Who told you you could? Well, I believe God did. You start realizing, you'll start realizing some things my emotions told me. Some things, oh yeah, uh, somebody else was saying. But you start to eliminate and go, no, that was my emotions. That was God. That was me. Oh, that was my spouse. No. And then you start to get a list of the things God has told you. And now we get vision to move forward. If you're listening today and you say, listen, uh, uh, um, man, I, I just need to hear the voice of God, but... I don't know him intimately, personally. I, I don't even know how to engage in that conversation. He wants to embrace you. 
give you that spirit of adoption, call you sons and daughters. He said, if you'd believe that Jesus was the son of God, that he died on the cross, God raised him from the dead, that you would be saved. That means you'd be saved from your sin and the guilt and the shame and the condemnation. And you'd be saved. You'd be brought into sonship with God, washed, cleansed, and forgiven. That any man that would believe in Jesus Christ would become a new creation. Old things would pass to, be passed away. All sin and shame and doubt would be passed away. And behold, everything would become new. It would be about a relationship with God. If you say, I want that relationship with God this morning, then why don't we pray together? Say, Father God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm tired of living my own way. Tired of listening to what everybody else tells me. I want to walk with you. So this morning, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sin. Bring me into relationship with yourself and God. I believe that you died for my sin, that God raised you from the dead so I could be forgiven. I accept you as Lord of my life now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we believe that you were born again. You came into relationship with God. We were forgiven for your sin. If you did that, go on to the app. On to tell us your story. We'd love to know what God is doing in your life. Love to get you some literature to move forward in that. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget to stay on, kids. There's another glory hallelujah uh, coming to you. Why don't you say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus... Far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. Make it a great.